0: You are listening to the Missio Tempe podcast. We are a church of missional communities, living as a family of missionary servants for the good of our city. For more information about our church, visit missiotempe.com. We hope this teaching encourages and challenges you to faithfully take up your role in the Missio day. So I want to start today by putting you in the shoes, in the shoes of four different people. Four different people. So just play along with me, okay? First one is this you're a nurse. This past year has been unlike anything you have ever seen. I know we have some nurses here. Every protocol has probably changed. For a while there, you didn't have enough PPE. Maybe still feel that way. You've had to make decisions in many ways feel like, in some ways, hold the keys of life and death as we faced ongoing this global pandemic. You've had those moments in this past year where you've had to try to communicate via FaceTime with different family members because there's no visitors allowed in the hospital. And I'm sure you've had, and some of you, I know some of you have had, the painful experience of having a loved one say goodbye to someone via FaceTime stuck in the hospital on a ventilator. Nobody knows the trouble you've seen. The second group. You're a marketing specialist. You had these big dreams out of college of changing the world and having this awesome first job, and now you find yourself on a phone eight hours a day. You build websites for a living for people that are 60 and above that have never used a computer before, and you get this cool synth going on behind your sermon, which is awesome. <laughs> Can we just keep that on for the rest yeah. of the sermon? Don't worry, we'll play that later. That's the, that was the missing ingredient, if God speaks or not, is if that synth is going. You're a specialist and you're helping all day 65 year olds with their mouse scroll down to the bottom of the page to press this button that you installed on their website. Nobody knows the trouble you've seen. You're a mom. You have three kids under the age of five. You have changed diapers, wiped butts, You didn't know that when you signed up to be a mother that you're actually a negotiator, like a a terrorist negotiator, where every day you are trying to negotiate with a little one because the noodles were not put in the right place of why you put them there in the first place. You didn't realize that was what you signed up for. You, every time your kid calls in the middle of the night, you get up, no matter how many or little hours of sleep you've gotten, to care for them. You've done it all. I know there's a family right here that I can see that has three under five. You're in this season. Nobody knows the trouble you've seen. You're a resident director at GCU. You are in charge of managing a huge uh, dorm of students that do all kinds of crazy stuff. You have this part of your job where you're on call once a month at least, where you respond to the worst and darkest circumstances of somebody's life. You respond to somebody who's struggling with suicidal ideation, somebody who is in a roommate fight or conflict with somebody that lives right next to them. You respond to somebody who has just lost somebody near and dear in their life. You are the first person to come on the scene in people's darkest moment. And even sometimes you have to escort a pet off campus that's not supposed to be there. Nobody knows the trouble you've seen. All of us, regardless of what your vocation is or what you do with most of your time, all of us have this feeling, often a feeling unseen. Like nobody actually knows what I'm going through. Nobody actually sees what I have to face on a daily basis. Nobody knows. And not only that, if, if anyone could resonate with the feeling of nobody knows the trouble that I've seen, it would be those enslaved in our country, our black brothers and sisters who sung these spirituals that we've been going through, that would have felt alienated, isolated, as if nobody knows the trouble I've seen. A sense of hiddenness, as if God isn't present. He's not there. He doesn't care. He's distant. And so today, we finish our series on the spirituals with this last song, Nobody Knows the Trouble I've Seen. And my hope is as we explore this song, this spiritual together, that you would be encouraged regardless of where you're at, regardless of what you face, regardless of what this week entails, regardless of what this next year holds, that no matter what trouble you face, there's a God who is present. And we have much to learn from faithful brothers and sisters that have gone before us that sang this song to remind themselves of, yes, experiencing great trouble, but also experiencing the great presence of God. So that's what we're looking at today, the last of a four-part series. We have saw themes of healing and deliverance, of our suffering and soothing God, and of heaven now and not yet the last three weeks. And today we look at this biblical practice of lament through the spiritual. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. So on your handout right here in front of you, you should have the lyrics a couple pages in of the song of the spiritual. I'm going to read those lyrics to you. And then like we've done the last two weeks, I'd love for you to reflect with somebody around you on what's a, what's a line or a phrase, what's something that kind of grabs your attention as you explore this spiritual and the, root, and the rich words that are here. All right, let me read it to you. You should have it on the, on the page in front of you. I know we were short on a couple handouts, so rights. I know you guys don't have one, or maybe you got one. Perfect. Awesome. So this is what it says. It says, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows, but he knows my sorrow. Yes, nobody knows the trouble I've seen, but glory, hallelujah. Sometimes I'm standing, crying, tears running down my face. I cry to the Lord, have mercy, help me run this race. Oh Lord, I have so many trials, so many pains and woes. I'm asking for faith and comfort. Lord, help me carry this load. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Well, no, nobody knows but Jesus No, nobody knows, oh, the trouble, the trouble I've seen. I'm singing glory, 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 hallelujah. Now, nobody knows, oh, the trouble, the trouble I've seen. Lord, nobody knows my sorrow. No, nobody knows, you know the trouble, the trouble I've seen. I'm singing glory, glory, hallelujah. This is the spiritual we're looking at this week. If you could turn to some people around you, and what is a line or phrase that kind of grabs your attention as you think about uh, the setting that we're in here of faithful black brothers and sisters who would have been experiencing the horrors of slavery and wrestling with where is God's presence in the midst of that so turn to somebody around you and just and just see if a line from this spiritual sticks out to you ready set go all right hopefully at least one of you got a chance to share I love just shout it out what's a what's an idea or thought you had as you looked at the spiritual as we think about this theme of suffering pain and where is God's presence in the midst of all of it Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's probably the most, in my mind, the most powerful line of the whole spiritual. Nobody knows my sorrow but Jesus. We'll talk about that here. Yeah. Absolutely. Anybody else? Uhhuh. And help me carry this load. Yeah. So it was like you would think that someone in that situation would ask to be taken out of it, uh-huh. to be rescued. Yeah. But they recognize this is where I'm at. Mm-hmm. So help me, give me the faith and comfort I yeah. need. now. Yeah. And, and help me to carry like they weren't asking for God to remove it hmm. They were asking for God to help me through it. Yes. That will preach right there, Jason. Good work. Really good. Yes, so what Jason said is, they weren't asking necessarily for God to remove the suffering, but to be with them through it. Really good. A couple of years ago, uh, there was a woman in our congregation who worked with stroke survivors. And she said uh, with the different people that she worked with, that often they would, they would lose a lot of their motor skills, wouldn't be able to speak, wouldn't be able to put together complete sentences wouldn't be able to kind of do the basic things of all of us depend on every day to survive, to live. And she described the story of this one individual particularly who for much of now after his stroke could not complete sentences at all. Had a really hard time just even putting basic thoughts together. But, but he was a musician. And something about when he started to think about how to write and play a song His incomplete sentences that he would stutter through now were flowing through him through song. Song is often the last thing we hold on to even when other things go away. Song is powerful. Song helps us make sense of even the darkest moments of our life when we have no words to express. And whether it was in the fields during slavery or in the streets during the civil rights era, Song was the thing that moved people forward, that kept them hoping for God's presence in the midst of great suffering. This is why we've been spending the last four weeks looking at these different songs, these different spirituals, and this one is just like the rest, just as powerful. And so we're gonna look at the idea of lament today. Let me give you a definition because lament is a lost idea within within Christianity in general, but also within our culture. Lament is this. Lament is being with and telling God about how the world is not the way it's supposed to be. Lament is being with and telling God about how the world is not the way it's supposed to be. If we're gonna talk about lament with that definition in mind and this song in the background, we have to think about first how we respond to pain. How do we react to pain? So I'm gonna give you some psychological categories that are really helpful to think through this. When you encounter pain, in your life or suffering what do you do I'll give you three choices all right and then you're gonna to turn to the person next to you do you fight do you fight fighting could look like just a lot of activity you encounter pain and you push through it by movement this drives Keaton nuts about me like I just want to do something I want to clean something I want to work out I want to go do something, I want to fix the problem fight movement that might be you. The other one could be that you flight. You move away from. You find some way to cope with your pain, maybe in some form of an addiction. It could be a really dangerous one, but it also could be a really simple one as well, but you try to in a sense remove yourself from reality to go into some other kind of fantasy world. Flight, like hey, I'm going to just I want to get out, away from that. I'm going to move somewhere else. Or the third one is you freeze. You become paralyzed. There's nothing you can do. You might just jump into bed, pull the covers up over your head, and maybe turn on your favorite Netflix show and watch a whole season in one day. Like, ah, it's just too hard. I'm just going to sit here and, and, in a sense, tune out. Which one are you? You can. All of us are all three of them, so this isn't like a competition. But if you were to pick which one is your priority of how you respond to pain, do you fight movement, like do something about it? I'm going to fix it. Do you flight? Like, I'm going to actually just kind of disappear from reality and go find something to kind of soothe my pain. Or do you freeze? Like, screw it. I'm just going to, in a sense, uh, I'm a victim of the moment, and I just, there's nothing I can do, so I might as well just kind of hang out where I'm at. Turn to the person next to you. Ready, set, go. Alright, alright, hopefully you had a chance to share at least one of, one or two of you. There's an argument going on over here because, you know, the people that know you best might be able to answer for you. That's usually how it works. But tell them privately, not in front of everybody else because it could be painful. So, whether you are one that goes towards fighting, you fight. Whether you then move towards flight, like, I'm just going to remove myself from the situation, join some other world or whether you lastly freeze the biblical practice of lament is not fight it's not flight it's not freeze but it's a fall into the loving hands and embrace of your father nobody knows the trouble i've seen but jesus but god in the midst of great suffering and pain And that's what I want to unpack today. What does it look like to be with God in the practice of lament and then to tell God how the world is not the way it's supposed to be? To be with God and to tell God. There's one scholar, a really important scholar with thinking about the spirituals. He says this about Jesus and about the idea of God's presence. He says, but for many blacks during slavery and its aftermath, Jesus was not a clever theological device to escape difficulties inherent in suffering. He was the one who lived with them in suffering and thereby gave them the courage and strength to hold out to the end. Jesus was not an idea. He wasn't a device, but he was a person that you could fall into the embrace of in the midst of great suffering. And our black brothers and sisters understood this in some of the greatest suffering the world has ever seen. There's a really important voice, his name's Diotis Roberts. He's written a bunch of different stuff uh, within kind of the black theology genre. I, I've really enjoyed a bunch of different of his books. But one of the things that really has helped me think through this idea of suffering and pain in God's presence is in his way of contrasting some of Western theology with a theology from the margins, from a place of suffering. He says, often in Western theology, the question we start with is, does God exist? Does he exist? It's a question of his existence and how we can rationalize proofs for God. But he said, the theology from the margins, he would argue, is not the question, does God exist, but what is God like? What is his character? In other words, is God with me in the suffering? Is God with me in the suffering, not proof of his existence? Do you see the difference in that? If that's your starting place? If your starting place is not God's existence, but rather, what is he like? What's his character? How do we make sense of what he's doing and what he's up to? Vermont uh, Pierre, he's a pastor at Roosevelt who's doing the same series with us. He says, God gives us the permission to ugly cry before him. Like, think about that picture. You can ugly cry before God. And he's not afraid of that. God's, God's a big dude. He can, he can handle whatever you bring to Him. If you have a Bible with you, would you turn to Exodus chapter 2? Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. We were reading through Exodus earlier this year. This would have been on January 2nd, so quite a long time ago. But Exodus 2, God's people have been enslaved for 400 years, It's even unsure if if they knew who Yahweh was, what what was God like. They probably were unsure because they'd been in slavery for 400 years. God seemed very distant and absent. And this is what it says in Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. It says, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. Cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, which we're going to look at next week, with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them, was concerned about them. God is with us in the midst of great suffering. So therefore, my friends, go to be with him as he steps towards you as well. Lament, being with God is the first step, being with God. Here's my challenge for you. If we think about this idea of lament, it's just simply being with God. Tomorrow morning, when you wake up, after you get your cup of coffee or tea, before you pick up your Bible, before you pick something else up, before you start scrolling through Instagram, before whatever you do when you start your day, would you spend just 20 minutes just being with God? You could offer a short prayer like, God, I just wanna be in your presence for the next 20 minutes, and then I'm gonna do nothing. Just, I'm gonna be in your presence. When different things begin to come up and bubble out of your heart, different feelings you have about your week, anxieties you carry, frustrations and hurts and anger and bitterness, all those things that come out of your heart, would you just come back to, I'm gonna just be with you, Jesus, for the next 20 minutes to start my week. That's how I'm gonna start it. That's my first challenge for you. But lament isn't just being with God it's also telling God how the world is not the way it's supposed to be. I have this friend. He's a pastor in our city. And before COVID, we would meet every couple of months just to talk through different spiritual formation type stuff. He's like a spiritual formation guru guy, uh, really good at trying to help you discern where uh, you're with Jesus and, and what's going on. And often what the question I would bring to him is like, hey, how do you evaluate kind of what your relationship with Jesus is like? Like, Sometimes I, I I don't really know how to do that. Like, what what are you supposed to do, or what should I be asking, or what questions should uh, should be on the front of my mind? And he had this most simple but profound answer that I've held with me this entire time. He's like, "Do you want to know, in a sense, evaluate what your relationship with God is like? Here's the question: Are you still talking to Him? Are you still telling Him your troubles?" Are you having conversation with him? Because the most dangerous thing, in a sense, would be like, nope, I'm done. I'm going to, in a sense, stop talking to God. But lament is both being with God and telling God about how the world is not the way it's supposed to be. Like I said earlier, God can handle it. He can handle whatever you want to bring to him. Esau Macaulay, he's a writer who's written a book called Reading While Black. I'd really recommend it if you want to pick up something after this series. He says this, and, and, and Matt actually mentioned the word mourning, which I think this is exactly what Esau Macaulay is saying here. He says, Mourning is intuition that things are not right, that more is possible. To think that more is possible is an act of political resistance in a world that wants us to believe that consumption is all there is. To mourn, to tell God how the world is not the way it's supposed to be, is really an act of faith. It's, it's not defeat. It's not passivity. It's active resistance against a world that says consumption is all there is. No, there's more. And God wants to hear about it. He wants to know what, what pains and hurts that you're carrying if you have a Bible still with you or on your phone or maybe just put it down on the ground, turn to Psalm 88. Turn to Psalm 88. I'm gonna just read verses one through nine. Psalm 88, one through nine. Both to be with God and to tell God how the world is not the way it's supposed to be. Listen to these words from Psalm 88. Put this in your your thinking your framework of how you're supposed to talk to God listen to how strong these words are from Psalm 88 it says this Psalm 88 verse 1 Lord you are the God who saves me day and night I cry out to you may my prayer come before you turn your ear to my cry and then listen to these words do you talk to God this way I am overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves." You have taken from me my closest friends and you have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Man, like do you talk to God that way? He can handle it. How would our prayers change if we were to pick up a psalm like that? At times when we're really frustrated at the state of our lives and the world that we live in. To use these kind of words from Psalm 88. Over the last couple of months, six months to be exact, uh, I've been doing like a weekly coffee hour from 9 to 10 a.m. every Thursday morning at this place called the Oasis Center over here on Apache and McClintock. The Oasis Center is a day center for our friends that are experiencing homelessness in our city. And so people can come in off the streets at any time between the hours of 9 and 5 p.m. They can get some services. They can get a phone they can use, some computers they can use. Uh, there's different caseworkers that are there that will help people either get into the I-Help program, that's a trans- transitionary program in our city to go from homelessness to sustainable housing, or they can just get some place that's safe to sit during the day, especially in the summer that's coming up here because it's going to be 110 degrees outside. And so I've done that for the last six months, and I will tell you this. If we're not only going to be a people that are with God in the midst of suffering, but to tell God about the way the world is not the way it's supposed to be, we need to move in proximity towards pain. I have never prayed more prayers of lament as you sit with people in really dire circumstances of great loss, of suffering, of poor choices they know they've made that now in many ways feel irreversible, of not having housing, of being homeless for over a year, of just surviving the night before. Like the story after story of pain and loss. As we move in proximity towards pain, it actually creates in us hearts of lament. And so my, check, my second challenge for you today is not only to be with God for 20 minutes tomorrow morning, but my second challenge for you today is to move towards somebody in your life that is in great pain. If you want to develop a heart of lament, it's not just telling God about your own troubles, but it's actually moving towards others that are troubled as well. Not to fix, not to solve, not to tell them something, some good news, just in a sense to ease the pain, although we need that sometimes, but to simply be with people that are in deep pain. And I'm speaking to the choir here as far as I need to, I need to really grow in this myself. What would it look like this week? And just now in the silence of the space, try to identify who is that person in your life that's in great pain, whether physical, emotional, psychological. And how can you move towards them, not away from? Right now, just in the quiet, as you hear the birds, see if somebody comes to mind. My prayer is that we would become a people of lament, both being with God in great suffering and pain and also telling God about the way the world is not the way it's supposed to be. And often we need to move towards in proximity towards pain for us to begin to cultivate hearts of lament in our world. From the cross, Jesus actually cried in lament as well. He said on the cross, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We're a people of lament because we're modeled after our Savior who cried in great lament, seeing the brokenness of the world. And if anybody could claim that nobody knows the trouble I've seen, it would be Jesus, who is now our great high priest, who sympathizes us with us in our weakness. It says in Hebrews. Jesus was slandered and misunderstood so that you could be encouraged and embraced. Jesus was abandoned and lonely so that you could be part of the family of God. Jesus was beaten and bruised so that you could be held with loving hands. Jesus was separated from the Father so that in his resurrection you might be reconciled to him. And Jesus has offered us his very body and his blood so that we can join in on the feast that we partake in every week here at this table that this table, as we take a little bit of the juice and a little bit of the bread, is a longing in us to know that one day God will make the world as it's supposed to be, that he's doing that work now in and through us, and one day he'll complete it fully at his return. So in a moment, I'm gonna invite you to the communion table. Leslie and Chris are gonna be serving you communion, and I'm also gonna offer to you a couple different people that are available to prayer. As we think about this idea of lament and the pain and suffering we carry, Maybe something in you just needs prayer. You don't have to even name it to the person that you come to, but uh, Sandy and then Chris and Sarah Hamilton here are available for prayer. They'll stand in the back if you'd like to see them after you grab communion or before. You don't even need to tell them what's going on. You don't need to even tell them, hey, here's exactly what the trouble that I'm carrying. You could just simply ask for prayer. And that hopefully their presence and maybe even a loving hand on your shoulder would remind you of the loving hand of the Father that's upon you that in the midst of great suffering, God hasn't come just to fix, but he's come to reconcile us with the Father. He's come to be with us in the suffering, and as Jason said, help us work through it. So would you come to the table and feast with the king? Would you receive prayer in the back if you need it? And would we as a people continue to stir our hearts for a longing, knowing that God will one day reconcile all things? And right now, he's doing that work in and through us. Come to the table and feast with the king.